Well, I've been working on that all week, and I decided to break out something I've also been working on off and on for actually uh, off and on last two, three, for the last two, three months. And actually, it's been a work I've been working on for years. And uh, the thing is, is I'm going to try to get done really close to on time. I'm not a, if you say, why isn't Joe a stickler right to the minute? Because I don't see that, honestly, just to be honest with you, I don't see that in the Bible where it's like, you've got to be done right at this minute. Where is that anywhere in Scripture? I see Paul sometimes ministering, and it's midnight, and the guy falls off a balcony and dies. And then Paul raised him from the dead. Now, I can't do that. You say, Joe, if you could do that, you could speak to midnight, man. You know? <laughs> but then he raises him from the dead. The guy, the guy is raised up, and then Paul keeps preaching until it's morning. Okay? So if I'm going to be a stickler, like, oh, it's got to be this exact minute that I've got to stop. But... But <laughs> you want to get done at a decent time so people aren't waiting and babies are not, you know, filling up their diapers, right? You know, and uh, so I try. So I, I earnestly do try, but I, you know, and I always try to pray about it too so it does mean something to me. But at the same time, it's more important to me that you get the message that I feel God's burned on my heart than that, oh, we just should have stopped three minutes earlier, you know? Although I try to stop, I'm, I've been getting better. I'm a lot better. The messages used to go 20, 25 minutes longer than they do now. Easy. So, and some people are like, I wish you'd go longer like you, they told me that, like I used to. But I don't think the nursery teach or the school, the teachers up there appreciate that, you know. So, and we go long enough. We get in the Word. So this is one of those messages. I'm going to tell you right now. You're going to have to maybe check it out later on CD too, to really appreciate it to the maximum because I'm going to move a little bit. And I'm moving fast for a reason because I do not want to make this two messages. I think it would be good two, three, four, five messages. But we won't get through the book of Revelation if I keep going off on other things. But I also think there's merit to have it in one message because then you see the full picture I want to share with you in one message. And I think you'll appreciate it more in one message and in some respects. Amen. And this goes back to just a couple weeks ago uh, when Lisa and I were at a store where her and, her and Carol love to go together, called Sitting Pretty. I can see why they like that place. That place is pretty cool. And I, Lisa and I witnessed to the lady there, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, and uh, that owns the place. And we talked about that. I think I talked about that last week briefly. It came up. So I'll only say this, is that she's a Jewish lady, and a really sweet lady, and, uh, and <laughs> I bargained her down some money, and then I got down even more on the stools. And the, I got her down 40 on each stool. Then I added the stool. And I said, how about I get 20 more on each stool now since I ordered one more? And because uh, I decided we could probably use three. And then uh, she was listening to me for 15, 20 minutes, and I saw the people buzzing around. And I saw that and her at worker ended up coming saying, hey, like he's rescuing her. You know that, how they do that, you know? Uh, well, if you witness the people in the stores, you'll see that happen sometimes. <laughs> I've done it a few times. And... Uh, and I was like, and I, I thought somebody's going to come because she was seen very involved, but who knows? But she was on the hook, you know, start understand everything and so forth. And then the twenty bucks I got off in each stool, I said, "Hey, I want to give you that twenty dollars on each stool back. Just listen to me. I'm paying you. To listen to me now." She said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you know. Then I then I had her for another half hour, I think, after that or so. And but I was sharing all kinds of stuff with her, and she was saying how much sense it made, you know from a Jewish perspective, because she practices a Seder, like the Afikoman, the middle piece of bread, broken, wrapped, buried at the Jewish Passovers where they don't know Jesus, and it's a picture of Christ, and then whoever gets it gets rewarded, and that's what happens when you find out who Jesus is. He said, this is my body, this bread. That was the bread, you know? And she started, she was really like, wow, you know, blown away and uh, excited. 
So anyway, one, I, liked, I showed her some typologies, pictures of Jesus. And I showed her one of my favorite typologies. And I have a favorite typology, but it switches around from typology to typology, depending when you, if you ask me, or same with you probably, what's your favorite picture of Jesus, type of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, so when I talk about typology, for those of you who are newer believers, a typology is an Old Testament. The Bible has the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament was written and finished about 400 years before Christ came, but it's filled with prophecies about Jesus, very specific prophecies about, in Isaiah 53, for instance, that he would be rejected by his own people, that he'd be cut off or killed from the land of the living, that all of us like sheep, the Jews, have gone astray, but the Lord has laid the sin of us all, or iniquitous all upon him. You know, that he would be the lamb that's led before the shearers, you know. He'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. He'd be killed with transgressors, meaning like the two thieves on his, or insurrectionists on his side. There's clear scripture like that, which we don't call typological. Okay, it's this very verbal, straightforward scripture. But then we have these typologies, these pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, where God uses a person or a place or an event or a thing to point to Christ. Not just to Christ, but also to other things, even Antichrist, like Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of Antichrist. And these are foreshadowings whereby God moves wonderfully through his sovereignty in history, using the free will of humanity, but at the same time be the master chess player, using certain people and certain things and what they'll choose to do, and weaving them in a tapestry that points, when I talk about typology of Christ, to Christ. Now Jesus, now this is a blow mind. Because guess what? It shows you how this book is inspired by God and that God is the God of history. So it makes you just want to worship him. And I love to pray, hallowed be thy name. I love to pray the whole prayer, our Father. But I love that part, Father, because Lord, we live for you, not ourselves. Hallowed be your name. May your name be made holy. And I believe typology shows the holiness of God, the altogether, you know, differentness of God that he's ontologically greater than everything and anything. It shows his wisdom and his power. And it's just mind-blowing. But Jesus utilized prophecy to show his disciples who he was and to show those he witnessed to who he was. He said to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that whoever would look at it, remember, would be healed, they'd be saved, right? He says, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. That was a picture of me, Jesus is saying. Jesus says, the manna that your father gave you in the wilderness, Right? He and you guys died? He says, I'm the manna. I'm the bread that's come down from heaven. And if you eat from me, you'll live, right? He's the living water, you know. He's the light of the world. These are all things that are typological in the Old Testament. Foreshadowing these pictures that God drew of Jesus. Jesus says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Amen. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus or Christ, our Passover, the Passover lambs that were killed, and the form of the cross put up so the, the angel would f pass over them. He said, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians 15 says Jesus Christ is the first fruits, right, of the harvest. He's the one that, the, the fruit that would, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into all those things. And I don't want to explain all those little typologies because they're really big typologies. But they're all pictures of Jesus. And one of my favorite typologies that I've taught on two or three times at least was uh, Isaac and, and Abraham, and Isaac being a picture of Christ. If you asked me for many years what my favorite typology would be, I would probably say that one. But oftentimes I'll also say, if I'm asked, you know, my favorite typology is probably Joseph at different times too. Because Joseph is an amazing picture of Jesus. 
And the reason I'm going to move a little fast is there's so many pictures of Jesus in the life of Joseph that it is absolutely mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Now, uh, and I can't contain myself, you know. And there's a, there's a danger here. Because every time I show you one of these pictures of Joseph that, that foreshadows Jesus' life, I'm going to be tempted to camp out on it. Because every one of these you can spend time on. But if I spend time more than, more than maybe 30 seconds on any one of them, it's going to jeopardize when I get done. Okay, Because I still try to get done at a decent time. Because I will not go to midnight and then in the morning time. Okay, Because... You know, uh, on a special occasion, I might. If there's a crisis going on or, you know, I'm not going to see you for some time, I might, we might have a super long message or something like that. But I'm going to try to get done at a decent time as well. Okay? So now, let's go and check out Joseph as a typology. But for some of you who are very new, and this is something I have to risk because you may be very new in the Lord, is keep in mind, we're talking about after, we're talking about the very book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible that's in the Jewish Old Testament. And that Jews that reject Jesus have this in their, in their, in their they, they read it. It's there, it's in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, amen? So keep in mind, this is something that the Jews didn't recognize at first, amen? And I will say you this to this too, a lot of people do not consider Joseph a typology. If you go to Got Questions website, which is a really great website in a lot of ways. It has a lot of really good information there if you have questions. I don't agree with all of its theology. It's dispensational, pre-trib, somewhat Calvinistic. I don't agree with that. But it does have a lot of really good answers. But on their section on typology, they say Joseph isn't a typology because he's not referenced as a typology in the, Old, in the New Testament. But he's a good illustration. It could be used as an illustration. I'm like, what? Where do you get that def? You're trying to be biblical, but you're actually saying something can't be a typology unless it's referenced specifically in the New Testament as such. Where does the Bible say that? That it can't be a typology unless the New Testament references it. Then on counter to that too, I'd say, hey, guess what? The New Testament does reference it and, re- and, refer- and revealed that it is a t- Joseph's life was a typology. Okay, They missed on both those counts. Uh, not to indict the, web, the, the, the ministry there. I think it's a really great ministry in a lot of ways, even though I disagree with some of the things, as I mentioned. Uh, did very a bunch of blessing to a lot of people, including myself. So, but I want to let you know that Joseph, man, whoo, wow, if there's ever a typology or a picture of Christ. And so I'm just going to start going through these. And you can turn what might be best for you if you're like, man, I want to look at the scriptures that you're referencing because I'm going to be quoting a lot of scripture. I'll be using more scripture than you'd get in a lot of people's messages in seven, ten messages, okay? But I'm not going to turn to all of them because it would take a long time. But for you to turn to them, you might stay in the Gospels, if you want to look at Jesus' fulfillment, or you might stay in Genesis you know, 37 through 50 or so and move around, okay? Because uh, uh, some of you might want to say, okay, I'm going to be in the Old Testament, check Joseph out, if you got your Bible open. Some of you are going to say, hey, I'm going to be in the New Testament. Some of you say, hey, I got my cell phone. I can just ding, ding, go either way. And some of you might want to just sit back and listen and soak it in, okay? Okay. First of all, Joseph, we know, is given this... Well, <laughs> Joseph's mother, Rachel, she could have a baby, right? Why did God do that? Well, there's oftentimes more reasons than we even know. But Joseph was supernaturally born, okay? We read in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22 and following. Then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. It's supernatural birth. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Well, Jesus' birth was also supernatural. 
but even more radical because it was a virgin birth. In Matthew 1.18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they had come together, she found, was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now, I want to say a lot about that, but I don't have time. We've got to move on. But keep in mind, brothers and sisters, this is in Genesis. And for you that want to follow chronology, Abraham is the father of faith. God called Abraham. Through him he make many nations through his seed. Then he called, and son of Abraham was Isaac. Then Isaac was Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And Isaac slash, or I should say, uh, Jacob slash Israel, he had 12 sons, right? And Joseph was his favorite son, born from Rachel, who was the woman that he picked to marry. And then what happens is that these 12 brothers are born, and they become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're a picture of the nation of Israel, right? But Joseph is his favorite son. And the world is going to go through this incredible famine where people will be dying all over the place. But God's going to use Joseph in a very, very special way to save the world, just as he used Jesus to truly save the world in a spiritual and slash physical way, ultimately. Amen? So Joseph had a dream about his family members, okay, bowing down to him in the form of the sun and the stars and the moon. It says in Genesis 37, 9, Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now it's 11 stars there because he's the 12th star, right? But then it's, it gets interesting because guess what? Ultimately, the Bible says that the sun and the moon and the stars will bow down to Jesus. Psalm 148.3 says, Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Joseph's brothers did not believe in his dreams. It says in Genesis 37, verses 5 through 8, that Joseph had a dream, and we told his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Joseph doesn't even realize what this is going on here, right? His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. So Joseph, uh, his brothers did not believe in his dream, his dreams. And they said to one another, verse 19 and 20 of the same chapter, here comes this dreamer. And then they called him the dreamer and, and let us kill him and so forth. Well, Jesus' brothers in his hometown first rejected his claims as well. Matthew chapter 37, or I'm sorry, chapter 13. There's only 28 chapters in Matthew. Chapter 13, verse 55 and following. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his, mo his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where then did he, this man get all these things? And they took offense at him because Jesus said to them, only in his hometown is uh, in his own house the prophet without honor. Okay? Chap John 17, 5. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Joseph's brothers, Joseph's brothers were envious of him. Okay? Joseph's brothers were so envious of him that we read, and the patriarchs become, became envious. So Joseph uh, uh, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. That's Acts 17, 9. Jesus' brothers were envious of him. Pilate knew it was out of envy that they had banded Jesus or handed Jesus over to him. Matthew chapter 27. Verse 18, Joseph was sent into Egypt, Genesis chapter 37, verse 28. Then some of the Midianite, trade, Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. 
Jesus went into Egypt. Matthew chapter 7, or Matthew chapter 2, verse 14. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel. Okay? Jesus was the firstborn son of Mary. Okay? I'm not going to give scriptures for every one of these, but most of them, but that's obvious if you look at Jesus' life. His firstborn son as well. But, and Joseph was the firstborn son of Rachel. Joseph was a shepherd. It says in Genesis chapter 37, verse 2, uh, Joseph, then 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth. Jesus is the good shepherd. Je John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Joseph was believed to be son of his father Jacob. Okay, Joseph was beloved, I'm sorry, of his, father's, uh, of his father Jacob. We read in Genesis chapter 27, 3, Quote, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. Now what's the trip is when you read messages on Joseph or you listen to sermons on Joseph, so often it's about how Joseph played favorites and man, or Jacob played favorites and what a terrible guy he was and he really blew it here, you know, and it caused a lot of division in the family and, and they miss the bigger picture that guess what? God is allowing this to happen and using these guys in such a spectacular way because he's going to have a beloved son who is his beloved son because he's the word made flesh that's been with him from eternity past. And he's a son, unlike we are children of God, created and redeemed. He's the everlasting word, the everlasting son. Amen. So Joseph was beloved, the beloved son of his father, Jacob. And we read in in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, at Jesus' baptism, when he comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, we read this. And behold, a voice came out of heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen? Are you guys with me so far? Okay. Joseph's brethren were jealous of him. Genesis 37, 11 says, His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind because they just hated the fact that he had these dreams. Well, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 18, it says, For Pilate knew that it was because of jealousy that the chief priests, which were the Jews, and elders of, had handed Jesus over to them. Keep in mind, the chief priests and the Jews are the descendants of these 12 tribes, okay, these 12 men. Okay, that they were jealous of Jesus. Joseph resided with his father, but was sent to seek the welfare of his brothers. Genesis chapter 37, verse 14. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. Jesus resided with his father and was sent to check out the welfare of his brothers, right? And help them. We read in chapter 19, verse 10 of the Gospel of Luke, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Joseph testified of the sins of his brothers. He came back with the testimony, and it says in chapter 37, verse 2 of Genesis, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Uh, Jesus testified about the sins of his brothers. John chapter 7, verse 7, verse 7, we read, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Interesting. Joseph predicted that he would be a ruler. Genesis 37, 8 says, His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? <laughs> Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Jesus predicted that he would be a ruler. Jesus said to them, this is Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. Jesus said to him, you have said it, it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Joseph explained the things uh, of God to his brethren, and they thought he was crazy. They weren't just envious. They weren't just jealous. They thought he was crazy. Uh, in fact, they said in chapter 37, verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they said of each other. Interesting. Well, when Jesus explained the things of God to his brethren, they thought he was crazy. Mark chapter 3, verse 21. It says, when his father heard about this, they went to charge, uh, I'm sorry, uh, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Okay? Amazing. Which, and I've never gone through this extensive amount of typology in, in Joseph. I've, I've taught on typology Joseph here and there when we went through the book of Genesis at one time, but I've been compiling this list for some time. When Joseph was his young, uh, uh, this may be the youngest list you'll find. When Joseph was young, his father Jacob kept in mind his special claims. Chapter 37, verse 11, it says, And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept in mind what he had said. Well, what happened to Mary? What did she do when she found out these miraculous things about Jesus? Chapter 25, verse, I'm sorry, sorry, chapter 2, verse 51 of Luke. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. Joseph's brothers hated him. Envious, jealous, thought he was crazy, and hated him. Chapter 37, verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph's brothers hated, or Jesus' brothers hated him. John chapter 12, or chapter 15, verse 25, but they have, uh, but they have done this to fulfill the word, says Jesus, of the law, uh, where it is written, they hated me without a cause. Joseph was rejected, was just utterly rejected by his Jewish brethren, who didn't understand who he really was, okay? And we read that in Genesis chapter, uh, we see that rejection in Genesis chapter 37, uh, verse 4. And it's interesting because Jesus was rejected, and we see him, he, he's actually sold into slavery, right? Jesus was rejected by his brethren, and they didn't understand who he was. In John 1.11, it says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. In Isaiah chapter 53, in the Old Testament, before Jesus comes as the Lamb of God, it says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held, uh, and we held him in low esteem. That's how the Jews look at Jesus to this day. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment uh, that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Thousands and thousands of Jews have come to Christ through this prophecy that I'm reading to you right now in Isaiah 53. It's a really powerful, clear prophecy about Jesus being Messiah, but that he would be rejected by his own people. Joseph was given a special garment to signify his high position. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. Uh, the, and it's, we, we read that, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was the son of his old age. It's interesting He's the son of his old age, but it's kind of interesting. Jesus is the ancient one that has been with the Father forever. And he made him a robe of many colors, the many-colored robe. Amen. Jesus was given a special garment that signified his high position. Revelation 19, 13, he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he call, is called is the Word of God. Now, it's kind of interesting. It's, there's so many pictures of Jesus in Joseph. Do you know what? Of course, it begs the question, what does the, color, the coat of many colors represent then? Because it's got to represent, you think it represents something every else, thing else, and this, that's the most, one of those spectacular things that stands about it, Joseph, this coat of many colors. How is that a picture of Jesus? Stay tuned, because that's a message in itself. 
okay? And you can look, search the internet, try to find the meaning, but uh, because guess what? What I'm writing, I'm writing a little book on that, so it may never come out in book form, because I, but I end up preaching a lot of stuff that I don't end up putting in book form, because uh, if I don't see it anywhere else, it may, not, it may be a false conclusion, okay? So just, it's not like, thus saith the Lord. It's like, isn't this interesting kind of little thing I've been working on? Uh, and I'm excited about it because it's so beautiful, uh, what it, I believe it represents. But uh, that would be a mess in itself because I'd have to explain it, and I'm going to save that for another time. Uh, Jesus was given, okay, Joseph was stripped of his clothes. Remember that? They stripped him of his clothes. Genesis 37, 23 says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the robe of many colors that he wore. Jesus was stripped of his clothes. Matthew chapter 27, verse 28. And they stripped him and put scarlet robe on him. Joseph prophesied of a seven-year time of trouble that would come upon the world, that time of famine, right? In Genesis, in Genesis chapter 41, verses 29 and 30, we read, Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. Thirty, but seven year, uh, uh, Verse 30 says, But seven years of famine will follow, and all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. Jesus, by the spirit of prophecy, prophesied about a seven-year tribulation period, which we read about famines taking place and so forth. And we read in Daniel chapter 9, and in Matthew 24 about this, where Jesus references it, and, and we read in Matthew 24, verse 15, Therefore, when you see, Jesus says, the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, let the reader understand. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now or ever will. And he's referring to Daniel chapter 9, where there's a seven-year period that the Antichrist uh, makes a pact for. In the last three and a half years, it's called the Great Tribulation. And there will be definitely famine at that time if you read Luke 21 and other passages about and the book of Revelation with the, you know, the scales and barley and wheat being at very high prices. Even barley's horse food back then, so prices are going to go skyrocket during the tribulation period. Joseph supplied food during that seven-year time of trouble. Genesis chapter 41, verse 54. And the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, and there was famine in all in the other lands, but in the whole but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. God supplied food, amen, through Joseph. Well, Jesus would supply food during the tribulation period to those who belonged to him. Revelation 12, 14 says, The woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Uh, and by the way, the way woman signifies Israel in this passage, uh, so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time. It's three and a half years, but out of the serpent's, serpent's reach. So the Lord will nourish her, it says in that passage. Uh, the blood of the sacrificial lamb, of a sacrificial animal, I should say, was slain and put on Joseph's garment because they wanted to pretend that he was dead to his father because they hated him and they sold him into slavery. Well, it says in chapter 37, verse 31, So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. Wow. Well, the blood of Christ, the sacrificial lamb of God, was soaked in his blood as he was whipped and flogged. And they actually put two different robes on him. The Jews stripped him, and then they put a white robe on him, it says. And then he was counted over to the Romans where he was whipped again, and they stripped that robe off of him, which would have been pretty painful, and so forth, after they put it back on him, and so forth. So it's quite interesting. And in chapter 19, verse 13, it says of Jesus at a second coming, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Okay? So when he returns, it's already in some way dipped in blood but also is dipped in blood because the wrath he has on those who reject him. Judah, which brother came up with the plan to, uh, to basically sell him into slavery? 
Judah, remember that? That was the, the brother that did that, the eldest brother. And he, I thought you said Joseph was the eldest brother. He was the firstborn to Rachel. Okay, Judah was born to, to uh, Leah. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So let's, get, let's make some money off him, okay? Judas conspired. Judas in the New Testament, not Judah, but Judas conspired in the New Testament with his brethren, the other Jews, to betray Jesus. Are you guys following me? This is crazy. And we've just begun. Uh, We read that then, this is in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. Okay? Joseph was betrayed by his older brother Judah, who would become the leader of the tribe of Judah. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of the twelve apostles, uh, who obviously also came from the brethren of Israel. And Judas is the Greek spelling, guys, of Judah. Same name. It's just the Greek. Come on, guys. <laughs> you show this to Jews, man. Their eyes will bug out, you know. Uh, Joseph was betrayed for 20 pieces of silver, the price of a slave wage in his day. Jesus, uh, we read in chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 37, verse 28, Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave in his day. Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Then one of the 12 named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to betray? And he's, you know, cost 30 pieces of silver, as I mentioned earlier. Joseph was handed over to the Gentiles. They're Jews, right? And they hand him over to the Gentiles. Chapter 37, verse 27, come sell, us, uh, sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. And they went to the Midianite merchants and came by, and then boom, Joseph's given over. Genesis 37, verses 27 and 28. What happened to Jesus? The Jews gave him over to who? The Gentiles. Jesus was handed over to Gentiles. Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, Jesus said, will be delivered in the chief, to the, by the chief priest, or to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And uh, on the third day, he will be raised up. Brothers and sisters, does anybody else have a life like Joseph and Jesus? Was anybody sold by their brethren to the Gentiles by a guy named Judah or Judas and that, all the other things we talk about? Can you know anybody else that went through that? I could just take three or four, of the, two or three of these, and they only happen, I could find two or three that only happened to Jesus and Judas. Can find f- f- seven or eight that only happened to Jesus. Can find 25. Can find 50. I don't even know how many are here. I lost count. I didn't have time to count. I'm like, I'm going to be late if I count these up because I keep adding. I've added this list through the years, okay? And I'm like, and I find more every time I go through the life of Joseph. I'm like, this is just so, Lord, Lord so crazy. How could you deny the inspiration of Holy Scripture? Amen. Through the rejection of Joseph, his brethren are actually being set up with conditions by which they will be saved. Isn't that amazing? Through the rejection of Jesus, his brethren were being set up, and actually the entire world, to be saved through his rejection. Amen. Joseph's ministry for salvation of the world began at the age of 30. Interesting. Genesis 41, 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Wow. Jesus' ministry of salvation for the world began at the age of 30. When he began his ministry, Jesus uh, 
was uh, scriptures say in Luke chapter 3, verse 23. The other one was Genesis 41, 46. The Genesis 3.23 of Jesus says, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. Wow. People were told to do by Pharaoh whatever Jesus tells or whatever Joseph tells you to do. Chapter 41, verse 55 says, then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. People were told by Mary to do whatever Jesus tells you to do. His mother said, John 2.5, to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Come on, guys. You can't make this stuff up. When wrongfully imprisoned, Joseph won the respect of his jailer. Chapter 39, verse 21 of Genesis says, The Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Wow. When, when, when wrongfully crucified, Jesus was won the respect of the centurion at the cross. Luke chapter 23, verse 47. Now when the centurion saw that what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Wow, Joseph was a wonderful counselor. 41:39 of Genesis. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. Well, Jesus Christ, our Lord, prophesied in Isaiah 9:6, we read, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Whatever Joseph set his hand to was caused to prosper. Genesis chapter 39, verse 5. And it came about that from that time he made, was made an overseer over the house of all that was owned. Uh, uh, he got favor, you know. It says he was made an overseer in his house of all uh, that he owned. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house of, in the field. Whatever Jesus set his hand to, the Father called to, called to prosper. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, that he would render himself a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. When Joseph was severely tempted, he refused to sit against God. Remember Potiphar's wife? He's serving a servant in Potiphar's house before in, in, in Egypt, before he's elevated or in prison. Then he's in prison. Then he's elevated to Pharaoh's right hand, basically. Well, He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife when she seeks to tempt him to lay with her. We read in Genesis chapter 39, verse 8, 9, and 12, but he refused and said to his, of his master's wife, how then could I do such a great evil and sin against God? What a great example. Flee sexual sin, brothers and sisters. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When Jesus was severely tempted, he resisted and refused to sin against his father. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give this to you if you just bow down and worship me. And then what did Jesus say? He said, "Turn, get away from me, Satan. You know, away from me. He said, it's written, you shall worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. A high priest, by the way, in the Old Testament was a picture of Jesus too. They're just all over the place, right? We do not have a high priest that's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. It's interesting. Joseph is one of the few typologies in the Old Testament where you don't see him sinning. Isn't that interesting? And there's so much. He's, you have the longest narrative about his life without seeing him blow it at all because he's such a powerful picture of Jesus. Daniel's another one. Joseph uh, was falsely accused. 
Then she told the story. That's Potiphar's wife. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me and made sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He was falsely accused and imprisoned. Jesus was falsely accused. Mark chapter 14, verse 55 and 56. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Sound familiar? Joseph is falsely imprisoned. Chapter 39, verse 20 of Genesis, we read, So Joseph's master took him and put him into jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. Jesus was falsely imprisoned. In John chapter 8, verse 18, verse 12, we read, So the Roman cohort, the commander and his officers of the Jews, arrested him and bound him. Yet we know Jesus was innocent. Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brethren. They're discussing killing him. They throw him to a pit, and that's where they discuss handing him over to the Gentiles. Well, we read in Genesis chapter 37, verse 24, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Wow. Jesus was arrested in, a, in Caiaphas' courtyard. Matthew chapter 25, verse 57, 59, and 60. What's the significance there? Well, guess what? It doesn't say Joseph, Jesus was thrown into the pit, but guess where I've been? When you go to Israel... We try to go there. You go to Caiaphas' courtyard where Jesus spent the night. And guess where you go when you go to Caiaphas' courtyard? It blew me away. Because I, I, I have something I bought in Israel my first or second trip there. And it is a molded picture. I mean, it's protruding made out of, I think, bronze or something. And it's like yay big and sits in my office right next to me. And it's a picture of Joseph revealing himself to his brethren. And all his brethren weeping because they realized what they did to him, bawling. And that sits by my bedside or by my uh, chair to this day in my office. And that thing just blows me away because it's such a picture. And I bought that in Israel years ago. And Joseph, that, that story, this story brings me to tears very often. Uh, and uh, when I went to Caiaphas' courtyard, the typology has always been something for many years just lives in my heart, you know. And when I was at Caiaphas' courtyard, I was like, oh, this is where they would have put Jesus. Because guess what? There's, here's, the, here's the dungeon. Guess what you have to do to get in the dungeon where they would have held Jesus overnight before he was given to the Gentiles? You have to walk down to a big pit. He was put in a pit by his brethren before he was given to the Gentiles. And Jesus, I wonder if Jesus is like, you know, well, this is part of the story, you know. Amazing. Joseph was thrown in the pit by his brethren. Jesus was thrown into a pit near Caiaphas' courtyard. Uh, Joseph became a servant. Genesis chapter 41, verse 12. Now the Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. And we related to him. And he interpreted our dreams for us because Joseph was so righteous and so prominent in the prison because he was a witness for God. They saw his integrity. And the captain of the guard said, we want to use you because we see his integrity. And they saw his, then they saw his supernatural ability. To each of us, he interpreted our dreams. Jesus became a servant, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, who although he exists in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be held onto or grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and began and being made in the likeness of men. Joseph was condemned with other prisoners. Isn't that interesting? After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, remember the cupbearer and the baker in this story? 
You guys need to read through your Old Testaments if you don't know the, these stories. Uh, who were, it, it just makes God's word alive more to you when you start to read it, start to understand it more. They were being held in prison and, and, that, and, and had a dream that same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Wow. Jesus was condemned with two prisoners. Two prisoners. Not a cupbearer and a baker, but two malefactors. We read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 38, two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right hand and one on his other. Joseph prophesied. Isn't that a trip? Joseph prophesied of the two prisoners, prisoners uh, would see life. Now check this out. Joseph prophesied that one of the two prisoners would see life. Okay? That one of the two prisoners would see life. We read in Genesis chapter 40, verse 12, Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it, The three branches were three days. With three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore it to your office. And you will be put in Pharaoh's you, uh, you'll put cup. Uh, this is a cupbearer. You'll put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were the cupbearer. So guess what? You're going to live, okay? Jesus prophesied to one of the two men he was condemned with that he would live, right? Uh, this is just... A blow mine, Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, because he had a change of heart, rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since we, are, uh, since we are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man had done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered and said, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Joseph was quickly forgotten by the very ones he had helped. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's Genesis 40, 31. Uh, Jesus was quick, quickly forgotten by the one he helped. Okay, we read in Luke chapter 17, verse 17, 18. Then Jesus answered after he healed the 10 lepers, right? Where are the 10? Uh, we're not 10 clans, but where's the other nine? Where are they? But no one found uh, but no one was found except that one foreigner, right? Jesus said, that, that one from Samaria, to give thanks. Joseph shared the bread of life because he had a dream, and he told harvest during these first seven years, and he was able to, Pharaoh harvested for seven years of plenty, then he was able to feed the, his own people, and then anybody that would come into the world. Joseph shared the bread of life uh, with the world, and would, which would have otherwise perished. Genesis chapter 41, verse 57 Chapter 41, verse 57, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Jesus shares himself as a bread of life that through his being rejected and crucified, right, and being thrown in a pit, he becomes the savior of the world. He shares a bread of life with the world which have otherwise perished. John 6, 35 and 51, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will, never, he will live forever. And the bread which I give is for the life of the world is my flesh. Come on, you guys. Now, Jesus is Joseph. It's just a picture, an awesome picture of Jesus. Joseph gives the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Amen. By feeding the starving world physical bread, Joseph became the savior of the world. Genesis 41, 57. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain for Joseph from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Wow. By feeding the starving spiritual 
the, the world, the starving world spiritually, the bread of life, Jesus became the Savior of the world. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not come to the world to, to, to uh, condemn the world, but the world through may be saved, right? Joseph was believed to have been dead by his father and brethren, right? Because his brethren sold him, but they figured he's dead by then. His father thought he was dead for sure. Genesis 44, 20 says, We said to my Lord, we have an older an old father and little child of his old age. Now his brother, speaking of Joseph, is dead, they said. So he alone is left of his mother, meaning Benjamin, because he wanted Joseph to bring him back to Egypt. He alone is alive, and, uh, and his father loves him. Now it's interesting, they're being tested if they have a change of heart, because they really were ticked off that their father loved who? Joseph. And God is seen when now his brethren come to, for, for bread, to Egypt because they hear they can live through this famine because there's a guy there, man. Pharaoh's got all this bread. And now they have another brother who's special to his father because he's the last born son, right? And it's from Rachel again. And guess what? He's seeing their hearts if they changed at all toward his other brother. And they're afraid that what will become of him, we don't want that to happen, what happened to our older brother. They're having to change a heart because they're being humbled through the famine they're, they're being confronted with their sin. I want to get into the intricacies of this, but as I stop and do this, I, I, I lose time. So Joseph was believed to have been dead by his brethren. We went through that. Jesus was believed to have been dead, even though he is now alive. Amen. Luke chapter 20, verse 1 says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were trying to find the body of Jesus early on to put, you know, they wanted to, thinking he was dead. His disciples thought he was dead. But he'd risen, amen? Then they saw him after the resurrection. Most of the world thinks Jesus is dead right now. The Jews think he's dead right now. But he's very much alive. Hallelujah. Joseph uh, was thought to be dead, but was in fact alive. A picture of the resurrection. Genesis 45, verse 26. They told him Joseph is still alive. Okay? He's still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. This is what the brothers found out, and they told the Joseph, told the Jacob, their father, he, he's alive. And he was, Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. Now you tell the Jews, he's alive. Right? And it's hard to believe at first. Jesus, though he thought, uh, they thought he was still dead, was in fact very much alive. While they were wandering about, it says, and this is uh, in Luke chapter 24, verse 3, while they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. That's at the tomb. And in their fright, the women bowed down and their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Joseph forgave his repentant brothers. Genesis 50, verse 17 and 21. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke. Verse 21, and he, and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Jesus forgives those who come to him with repentant hearts. Luke chapter 23, verse 34 and following. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them at the cross as he's cru being crucified uh, for they know not what they, they're doing. And in verse 46 of chapter 24, thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. As Savior of the world, Joseph was given a new name. 
And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath-Paneah. Well, as the ultimate savior of the world, Jesus was given a new name. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. He overcomes, says Jesus, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God and the new name, I'm sorry, and the name of the city of my God and the new, and new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Shortly after rejecting Joseph, the Hebrew brothers had to leave their homeland, didn't they? They ended up living in Egypt and becoming slaves for some time, right? Shortly after rejecting Jesus in 70 AD, the Jews had to leave their homeland. And Jesus said in Luke 21, 34, they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Come on, you guys. Joseph ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh's throne in power. 4144 of Genesis, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. He was given all authority in Egypt. Jesus is given all authority in heaven and earth. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father's throne. Who is it that condemns us? Chapter 8, verse 34 of Romans. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, uh, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Joseph went from a place of condemnation to a plate of great exaltation. That's Genesis chapter 40, verses 39 through 41. You can look it up. I'm not going to read all these ones now because it's getting a little bit later. Jesus went from a place of condemnation to the ultimate exaltation. Is given the name above that's every name, Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. After his exaltation, Joseph initially concealed his identity to his brothers. Remember that? He didn't want them to really, he was dressed up like an Egyptian and everything, and they didn't recognize him. He concealed his identity, and they did not recognize him the first time. Isn't that interesting? And when Joseph saw his brothers, Genesis chapter 42, verse 8, when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them as strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where have you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied. How we are here to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. After his resurrection... Jesus initially, and the Jews didn't recognize him, his first coming, right? Even after his resurrection, his own disciples, he withheld his identity to a degree. We read in Luke chapter 24, verse 15. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Their eyes were open, and then they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So Joseph only revealed his true identity to his brothers on the second time. Isn't that interesting? On their second visit, it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 13, on their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about his, Joseph's uh, family. At his second coming, Jesus will return in glory, and people will see his true identity. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. Titus 2, 13. The second time Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, they saw the one that they had pierced. Amen. They saw the one that they had pierced. Genesis chapter 45, verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am, uh, uh, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed at his presence. At Jesus' second coming, he revealed himself to the world and to his brethren who had pierced him. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall mourn over him. So be it. Amen. Revelation 1-7. Zechariah chapter 12, verse uh, 
12, chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. This is in the Old Testament. I show this to Jews sometimes when I witness. Show this to my Dr. Tenenbaum, Lisa's doctor, years and years ago with the Yamaka, conservative Jews. He said, that's not in the Bible. My Old Testament, I show it to him. He's like, he had nothing to say. It says, and in that day I will set, uh, and in that day I will set about you to destroy the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me, whom they have pierced. And he goes on to say, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. Ooh, isn't that interesting? God Yahweh, right? They mourn for me as the only son. <laughs> Come on, guys. The second time they saw Joseph, uh, and sp he spoke to his brothers in Egypt. He revealed himself to them, and there was great weeping. It was great weeping. It says in Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 5 and 14, Then Joseph could not control himself. For all who stood by him, he cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. And when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. In verse 14, it says, And Benjamin wept upon his neck. So you see, Benjamin's weeping, and he's never even met Joseph, right? And he's weeping, and there's all this crying going on. When Jesus returns uh, a second time, the 12 tribes of Israel, the descendants of those brothers, right? They will weep, it says in uh, the scripture in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 12. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of supplication, grace supplication. They will look on me and they will see him whom they pierce. I will, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only child. And get this, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, weeping in Jerusalem will be great, like the weeping of Hadad Remen, Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn each uh, tribe by itself. We're almost done here. When Joseph's brethren recognized Joseph, whom they pierced, they confessed their sins and repented. Genesis chapter 50, verses 17 18. Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and, and their sin, for they did wrong, right? Well, they recognized their sin. And now please forgive the transgression of your servants, the God for the God of, uh, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept and, and then spoke to them. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him. Behold, we are your servants. They humbled themselves. Amen. When Jesus' brethren recognize him whom they pierced, they'll confess their sins. Isaiah 55, 53, verse is 5 and 6. But he was pierced. This is what they'll say. It even says in the Old Testament what they will say when Jesus returns. They'll say, but he was pierced through our, for our transgressions. They'll recognize it. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and he was, by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused iniquity for all to fall on him. They're saying this as though it happened now. They recognize it. That's a trip, man. Isaiah 53 is not just going to say what, doesn't say what Messiah is just going to do, but that he'll be rejected, he'll be hated, but also, guess what? They'll come, they'll, the, it, it describes what's going to happen in chapter 12, that they're going to actually confess their sins and recognize him. Old Testament, guys. When Joseph revealed himself a second time, he forgave his brethren, uh, the children of Jacob. That's in Genesis chapter 50, verses 17 and 21. When Jesus returns his second time, he will forgive repentant Israel and turn godliness from Jacob. And in that day, all Israel will be saved. Romans eleven twenty six. 26. As is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn godliness, godlessness away from Jacob. Zechariah 13, 1. Right after it says they see him, when they, they'll see him and they pierce. It says on that day, a fountain will be opened uh, to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Wow. After Joseph was raised in his exalted position in Egypt, his brothers bowed down the knee to him, just as prophesied. Remember the dream? You're all going to bow down to me? 
They're like, what are you talking about, right? It says in Genesis 42, 6, Now Joseph was a ruler over all the land. He was the one who sold, was sold to all the, the, the people. Now it's interesting. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. <laughs> wow. That dream he was having, now it's happening, man. They're all bowing down. They're recognizing who he is. After Jesus finished his mission, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is, in, he is Lord. That's in Romans 14. That's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on earth and those who are under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father, right? Joseph became the ruler of all Egypt under Pharaoh, but God was with him and rescued him. We read in Genesis chapter, or Acts chapter 7, verse 9. And he gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler of all of Egypt. In his place, Jesus is <laughs> the ruler over every name. Philippians 2.9, for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed him the name which is above every name. <sighs> what Joseph's men, or what Joseph's brethren meant for evil, God used to save many alive. Genesis chapter 40, verses 19 and 20. His brothers then came and threw themselves before them. We are your slaves. Now they're repentant, ready to serve finally. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended for harm, to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving. Wow. Jesus, brethren, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Read in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This man was handed over to you by the deliberate plan of the foreknowledge of God. And you, see, it was all God's plan, right? And you, will, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. He's saying this to the Jews, but also included the Gentiles, he says. Verse 36 says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Acts 2, 23 and 36. Romans chapter 11, verse 12. But if the transgression, meaning Israel's rebellion against God means riches for the world, meaning the Gentile world. And their loss means riches to the Gentiles. How much greater riches will her fullness bring? Their fullness bring, meaning God will, God's using it all for the good. After suffering in Egypt and being exalted, Joseph took a Gentile bride. Isn't that interesting? He takes a Gentile bride. Genesis chapter 41, verse 45. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanah that uh, Zephanah Paneah, and gave him uh, Asenath, daughter of Poitophera, priest of On, to be his wife. Well, after Jesus suffered and was exalted, he took what? A Gentile bride, right? That's in, we've talked a lot about that, but that's in uh, Genesis or Revelation and other places. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Genesis, uh, Revelation chapter 7, or chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. You read about the bride of Christ. Amen. Okay, and in Revelation 7, his bride has made herself ready, and she's made up of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongue, the Gentile world, that he's fed the bread of life. And then the, he comes back in verse 11, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, for his bride. Amen. Okay, and what they meant for evil against Joseph, God promises in Romans 8, 28, God works everything for the good, for those who love him and are the call to according to his purpose. Amen. Now, I don't even know how many that is, man, because guess what? I didn't want to tell you how long this was, because it was like, 24, 25 pages, okay? And I have a number of prophecies, sometimes several on each page. So it's got to be around 50 or so. I don't know. I'll count them later, okay? But when people say, oh, there's 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, I'm like, shh. And people are like, that's an exaggerated number. I'm like, now that's like a way low number. 
Just Joseph's life has over 50, you know. <laughs> it's amazing, mind-boggling, you know. You know what? This should encourage your faith. Doesn't it encourage your faith? When, when Satan, Amen. Praise God. Give glory to God. We love you, Father. We praise your holy name. We love you, Lord God. Praise you, Jesus. Amen, you guys. I'll tell you what. Typology is a blessing for a lot of reasons. It shows God's power. Whoa, power, right? Look, at he's moving all these chess pieces, right? And he's doing it. You know, I love dogs. They listen to you more than cats, okay? I love cats when they're kittens, and I like cats, but I, I love kittens, and I love dogs, and I, I like cats. I just haven't had one for a long time, maybe, and my family's allergic, and I accidentally killed one when I sat in a chair, and it was under the chair. It's sad. I, I wept for a long time. It was, it, was, it was traumatic for a whole family, you know? <laughs> but guess what? It's hard to herd cats, too. Well, guess what? God has millions of people that are worse than cats, okay? And somehow he's able to weave all this together. Isn't that a trip? That's power. That's wisdom, God's wisdom. Magnify God's power and praise him. Praise him for his incredible wisdom. Praise him for his great love and going to all these lengths to save us. Amen? Right? Praise him for his faithfulness to Israel and to his people. Amen? Praise him for his sovereignty and how he's ultimately in control of all things. Even though we make choices and we're accountable for those choices, he'll even use those choices and weave them into the fabric to get glory in the end. Amen? Praise God for his witness because it's a testimony, a witness of who God is. Amen? And you should be using this, these typologies and pictures of witnesses to people as you talk in the streets because they cannot say anything about it. They can't say, well, that can't be true because that's just a big coincidence. Come on, we know that's ridiculous. Amen? So it's a powerful witness. Uh, he's the God of prophecy. He tells the end from the beginning. He does it in the most powerful ways. He's an artist. Amen? How artistic is this? If you like art, God blows every artist away infinitely so. Just look at one sunset, by the way. Look at the snow-capped mountains that I think we lost because of the warmer rains. Uh, he works everything together for the good. We can rejoice in that, and we can know that and trust him, amen, that even when these guys blew it and stuff, if you trust the Lord and you, you love him, he's going to work your past even for the good, amen? What a good God. God will further, uh, that also shows that there's a few of these prophecies still to be fulfilled, amen, where the world's going to bow down to Jesus. Just like all the rest of this has been fulfilled, everybody's going to bow down to Jesus. That's coming, folks. Make sure you're bowing now because everybody's going to bow later. Some in heaven, some on earth, and some under the earth in hell. So make sure you're bowing now so you won't be bowing in hell. Israel, who will be brought, is brought back in the land. Awesome. Uh, we need to shine a light of Christ and recognize and be thankful, Lord, that we are in his everlasting arms. The coat of many colors. This is a preview to that. I'll do that down the line sometime because all these things have significance. Do you think the coat of many colors is just didn't mean anything? It means something really eternally beautiful. I can't wait till we get to that. But this is like one of my old messages that we gave for like the first 20 years of my pastorate right here. So I, I was hoping I wouldn't even go this long, but uh, was it worth it? Okay. Ask the nursery workers and they're going, what? <laughs> you know? Tell them, get the message. Amen. So I try not to do this very often, but I was like, I don't want to split this in two messages and it's just too good not to give. So I rushed through it. But did I go too fast? If I went a little too fast, go ahead and listen to it again. But I hope this will be one of those messages that you listen to once in a while so your faith will be encouraged in Christ. Amen. Okay, so next week, if I go this long, say, Joe, you said that was going to be an exception, and you'll be right. And please tell me that, okay? I, I need to hear that sometimes, okay? Everybody, please stand up. Let's pass out the cup and the bread. What an awesome God we have, amen? And guess what we're passing out? And guess what hundreds of millions of other professing Christians are passing out today? The bread. As a representative of who? Jesus. Because he gives his life as a bread to the world, amen? And the Jews are blinded to it now, just as Joseph's brethren were blinded for a while, Right? But in the end times, 
They're going to have to come to Jesus and they're going to cry out to him in the wilderness, save us, save us. In the end, when, they reveal to, when he reveals to them, see, guess what? He was already sending them home with some bread, wasn't he? Before they recognized him. And he'll give them bread in the wilderness, right? And then Jesus said, you won't see me again until you say what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then they'll start to realize who he is. And they'll say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then they'll see him whom they pierced. They'll see this is Joseph. You know, what the, you know what the Jews did as they're passing out a cup and bread? Because I have an extra couple minutes here. The Jews saw these prophecies about the Messiah being a sufferer in the Old Testament. And they saw these prophecies about the Messiah being a ruler, like King David. But they saw him suffering like Joseph. So the Jews, before Jesus came, tried to rationalize, what does this mean? He suffers. He's like Joseph. Isaiah 53, there's midrashes, Old Testament comment, or commentaries in the Old Testament that the Jews had before Jesus came, where they talked about how the Messiah would suffer. But they said, wait, wait he's going to rule. It didn't make sense, so guess what they did? They said, oh, there must be two Messiahs. So they said, we're waiting for two Messiahs. Messiah ben David, the son of David, and Messiah ben Joseph, the son of Joseph. There must be two Messiahs. And when Jesus came, what? But they were under the slavery of Rome, Right? Pain to these heathen, it just they despise being mistreated by the Romans. Romans. So, what Messiah do you think they wanted to come? Messiah Ben what? David. Messiah Ben David. Are you with me? They wanted the ruling one to kick their rear ends, man. Come and destroy these Romans. They weren't. They didn't want Messiah Ben Joseph, the son of Joseph. Guess who showed up? Because before he's going to be king and rule over you, you have to be what? Forgiven of your sins. Amen. You can't walk with Jesus and him be your king unless you repent and are forgiven. So it wasn't two messiahs. It was what? One messiah, two comings. Just as Joseph was first rejected by his brethren, then he revealed himself in his kingly office. Amen? And I want to let you guys know, we have an awesome God. And he's come once and he's coming back again. There was only ever one messiah with two comings. And he paid for everyone's sins here, okay? By the way, I can show you the same kind of thing, stuff I just showed you here with Moses, with David, with Adam, with Jonah, with Jeremiah, with Daniel. These, type, these typological prophecies are mind-blowing, guys. And there's no way you can explain away. You can try to say two or three are coincidences, maybe, but guess what? Once you get beyond two or three, it's just, wow, thank you, God. That's why, and I love typology because guess what? You can't be liberal. You can't be a liberal Christian and look at typology because it shows you, no, God inspired the book. Amen. God inspired his word. So God gave himself for you, the bread of life. I explained to this Jewish woman that Lisa and I were witnessing to you a couple weeks ago. I explained to her, I said, look, in your Jewish ceremony, you have the afikoman, right? She goes, yes. I go, do you practice Seder? Yes, I do. I go, you have three pieces of bread. They're unleavened, right? They all don't have any yeast and they're flat, right? She's, yeah, you know, they're, they're pierced, you know, they're, 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 they're bruised, they're, they're striped, you know? It says in Isaiah 53, the Old Testament, he was pierced for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we were healed. And he's without sin. Leaven was a picture of sin for the Jews and the Gentiles when you understand the Bible. And that middle piece is taken out. I said, right? She goes, that's right. And it's broken. Jesus is one with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is taken out the middle he becomes a man. The middle piece. God left heaven. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Son left heaven, and he became a man. Amen? And I said, just like that bread is broken, Jesus is broken. And what do you do with that bread? 
you wrap it in cloth at your Seder. This happens by hundreds of thousands, millions of Jews around the world when they practice Seder. And you wrap it in, in cloth, right? Then what do you do? Yeah, then we, 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 bury, we hide it. I go, you hide it. Jesus was buried. And I go, what happens, you know, when you bring that thing up? You get rewarded. Whoever finds it gets a reward. Everybody rejoices. She goes, that's right. And she hit her. She goes, oh, wow. I go, that's what happened to Jesus. Whoever finds Jesus, the bread of life, receives eternal life and is, re- is blessed. Amen. Greater than rewards by his grace. Amen. And that was one of the places she goes, wow, it makes sense, you know. I was like, praise God. It does make sense. She could never go to a Seder again now and not see that. Amen. Once you start seeing Jesus, you can't unsee him unless you have a hard heart and you want to be your own God and want to do your own thing and make up your own morality, which is pathetic compared to God's morality, right? So this bread, Jesus took that middle piece, amen? He said, this is my body. This piece, this, this unleavened bread and the Passover Seder that we're practicing, that the Jews were all practicing, he said, this is my body. This picture is picture me. He's going to die on Passover day the next day. On Passover day is Passover. He's going to die on that very day, amen? This is my body, right? I want to encourage you right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you have not been forgiven of your sins, this is very, very important. If you missed everything else, don't miss this. You need to make sure you're right with God. Because this God, this creator, who has all this wisdom and power, we all deserve death. The Bible says all have sinned. Would you admit you're a sinner? Would you say you're the only one that's sinless? No, the Bible says if you say you're without sin, you're a liar, the truth is in you. And the Bible says that, that sin is transgression or breaking God's moral law. We've all known in our hearts we're guilty. We've done things that are wrong. Have you ever taken something that belonged to you? Have you ever, have you ever said a lie? Have you ever st- taken something? Have you ever had a, a bad thought toward a woman that is not your wife? You know, or lust for a different woman or man or whoever? The Bible says that we're all sinners. Have you ever put anything before God? The Bible says idolaters go to the lake of fire because he has to be first in our lives. Have you ever used God's name in vain? We've all broken God's moral law. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What we get because of sin, that's why we die. And we get separated from God forever because we deserve hell. Okay, people, there's prisons all over, but there's a great prison called hell where everybody goes unless they're forgiven. Have you been forgiven? The Bible says the wage of sin is death. That's what you earn. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The free gift of salvation is the fact that Jesus paid it on the cross. He died for the sins that we committed so that we could be forgiven of our sins because God's a just God. And God is also a loving God. He died in our place so we could have eternal life. Amen. So the Bible says if you put your faith in Christ and you repent, you have a change of heart, I'm going to leave the darkness and turn to Christ the light, amen, and put your forgiveness, you put your faith in him, the Bible says you'll pass from death to life. Do you want eternal life? You need to embrace Jesus Christ right now as your Savior, amen? You need to say, I, I, you just admit, I'm a sinner, and I don't want to pretend that I'm God of my own life now because I know you're going to judge me. Spoiled man wants to die, but after this, the judgment, the Bible says. And just say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And he'll forgive you because it's a free gift. All you have to do is truly from the heart turn to him in faith. And the Bible says, Jesus said that whoever comes to me, I will not cast away any, right? And Paul said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul said in that same passage in Romans 10, that if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. I encourage you right now, you can be forgiven and have the bread of life. Or you can starve for eternity by rejecting the bread that Jesus offers and the water of life that he offers you this day. The Bible says that we weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness forever and ever for those who reject Christ because they don't want to be with Christ. And he says, okay, you're going to outer darkness. You're separated from my light and my love and my goodness. That's outer darkness. 
and you're under judgment. Billy Sunday was preaching one day to a packed house, and he evangelist, a baseball player from years ago, an MLB player, retired. He was preaching. Billy Sunday was preaching the gospel, and a lady up in the balcony was mocking him, and she said, outer darkness, I don't care. I don't have any teeth to gnash. And Billy Sunday said, ma'am, I'm sure God will provide you some teeth at the resurrection. Okay. You can come up with any kind of excuse you want, man, but you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Embrace Jesus now. Don't let anything stand in your way. Father, we thank you for the bread, which represents your...